You're listening to the King's Church DC podcast. King's Church is located in the heart of Washington DC and exists to make Jesus known in our city through enduring presence that brings personal conversion, purposeful living, and community reconciliation. We hope you enjoy the following sermon. Well, in 2020, uh, though I shouldn't mention that wonderful year, there was a popular meme series called My Plans vs. 2020. The memes were generally from pop culture, and it was an attempt to show how uh, poorly and how badly wrecked a lot of people's years were as a result of our wonderful 2020. Up on the screen will be some of my favorites. First is Kevin from The Office excited about his famous chili, uh, only to take a bit of a slip at work. Uh, Next, excitement, one of my favorites, about a whole tin can of Danish butter cookies, only to find sewing supplies inside instead. Next, Cinderella dancing with all of her glory (laughs) with Prince (laughs) Charm. Oh, man with Prince Charming only to be doomed forever to impersonal FaceTime calls. And finally, last but not least, uh, one of my favorites, Larry the Cat striking his typical pose and looking good, but now living in the reality of 2020. Now, all of these play on a more famous picture that circulated on social media, and that'll also be up on the screen, called My Plans versus reality. On top of this little picture is a little stick figure, and he is riding on a straight line to the finish line in quite of a, a breeze. It's a, it's a very easy journey. But on the bottom of this little picture is uh, something called reality, and it's a stick figure on that same bike riding up an incline with lots of moats and trees and pits. It's a very difficult and hard journey. Uh, The point is, is that life is a process. It's challenging. Things don't always go the way that we had hoped. It's a hard journey. Now, specifically for us, the Christian journey, our life with Jesus, our walk in the Spirit, our relationship with God, our Christian journey towards being more whole, being more like Jesus, It's a process. It's a hard journey. I've been on this journey for about 10 years or so, and it's taken years to get better at being a patient person. It's taken years to figure out how to really forgive somebody. It's taken me way more time than I ever thought to figure out what's underneath anger and how to turn from it. It's taken me way more resources than I ever imagined to figure out how to manage lust and anxiety. And maybe most of all, it's taken me so many years since becoming a Christian to learn how to truly trust God, what actually believing God looks like. Not just saying a prayer 
and inviting Jesus into your life, not just having the right doctrine or the right theology, but believing him, knowing he's real, knowing he's in the details, that he's in every second, that he's surprisingly good, that he's surprisingly wise, walking by his spirit, trusting in him every day. The point is the Christian journey, becoming more like Jesus, becoming more whole is a process. It's a hard journey. It's sometimes unpleasant. There's a whole lot of moats and trees and spikes and valleys and mountains and traps. But the amazing news this morning is that he is with us. He's with us in this journey. He's over all of it. He's above all of it. He's in the past. He's in the present. He's in the future. And he knows what he's doing. He's working out all things for our good. And that's really the main idea of this passage this morning, as well as the main idea of this sermon this morning. And that idea will be up on the screen, and it's this. The Christian journey is a process. The Christian journey is a process. Meaning, if you know him, becoming more like him, becoming more whole is a process. It's a journey. The theological word for this is a term called sanctification. And it simply means becoming more whole, becoming more like Jesus. And today's passage, today's sermon is all about that reality. Now, my outline is going to be up on the screen, and it's quite simple. It will flow right out of the passage, Exodus 16. Number one, we'll look at the process of God. Number two, we'll look at the provision of God. And number three, we'll look at God's patience. All of this will flow right from Exodus chapter 16, and we'll look at just a few verses. Now, if you're joining us for the first time, or perhaps you need a little bit of review, uh, we have been in the book of Exodus for the last few weeks as a church. In the first half of the book of Exodus, we meet the God who keeps his promises. He doesn't forget his people. And he powerfully and miraculously frees his people, the Hebrew people, from slavery in Egypt. Last week, we saw the culmination of this liberation when God parts the Red Sea. Think the movie, The Ten Commandments. We could summarize really the first half of the book of Exodus by saying it's about God getting Israel out of Egypt. God getting Israel out of of Egypt. But now today we start the second half of the book of Exodus. God's people are out of Egypt. They've just passed through the Red Sea. They'll never see the Egyptians again. They've been redeemed. And now they're supposed to go to the land that was promised to them. But what we find is that they're totally not ready. They thought that since they had been saved by sheer grace through the parting of the Red Sea and through the blood of the Lamb, that all of their problems were behind them. But there's still what we'll find a whole lot of growth that's needed. And so this second half of the book of Exodus is all about God getting Egypt 
out of Israel. Said another way, God getting Egypt, the old ways, out of their hearts. And so this really leads us to the first point where chapter 16 begins. They've started their journey out of Egypt to the finish line, and it says this in verse 1. They set out from Elam, and the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. So the chapter begins and we find the Hebrew people in the wilderness. It doesn't mean the forest. That means the Saudi Arabian desert. Moses is being led by God, and he's taking them on a very strange and inconvenient path. They've not sinned. They've not misread a map. God, for some reason, is leading them on this very strange and challenging detour. Uh, It would be like, for instance, if you were traveling from, say, D.C., to Philadelphia, getting detoured and stuck in a place like New Jersey or Pittsburgh. This is a very strange path. It's a, it's, a, it's a rough path, but God, for some reason, is leading them on this path. Essentially, the reason we find, the reason they're hungry, or why later in Exodus, why they're thirsty, or why they're in danger, or in rough spots, the reason we find is because God himself is leading them there. It's part of the journey that he's taking them on. It's part of his plan for them. It's a great reminder this morning that sometimes, oftentimes, God uses adversity and pain for a purpose. He uses our adversity, our challenges, and our difficulties for a purpose. When he made this world, he didn't make deserts. He didn't make disease or death. These things aren't part of the blueprint. Jesus himself weeps at the death of his friend Lazarus. But we live in a broken world. And everyone, including Jesus himself, faces this brokenness at some point. The good news, though, this morning is that if you're in Christ, God can weave and does weave the brokenness and the troubles and the difficulties of our lives for something beautiful. Romans 8.28 says, He is working out all things for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. Essentially, he uses deserts as part of the process. And one day, as Isaiah 35 says, streams will run through those deserts and burst with life. So God is leading them in a difficult path. He's he's leading them to a rough spot. Specifically here, what's happening is they're starting to starve. They're very hungry, and they, they start complaining against God. So they target the representatives, Moses and Aaron, and they say, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. 
In other words, they're saying, we had it better back in Egypt. We had lots of food. We don't have any food here. Take us back. Now notice, this is the language of addiction or the language of denial. When they were in Egypt as slaves, they hated it. They cried out to God, we read in the first parts of Exodus, to rescue them. They were miserable, but now they're free. And they look back on their life in Egypt and remember it as something good in this moment. They think of it as something attractive in this moment. They remember the comforts of Egypt, the ease of Egypt. It's essentially the language of addiction because they're screening out all the bad parts, all the miserable parts, the enslavement, the misery. They're thinking that wasn't so bad. It's delusional thinking, which really leads us to a principle this morning. You can get people out of slavery in an instant, boom, you part the Red Sea, they walk right through it politically, militarily, nationally, they're free. No more slavery. But it takes a process. It takes a long time to get slavery out of people. They were free legally. They were free politically. But they weren't working out that reality in their hearts, the freedom they had in their minds. And so that's the reason why they're not going to go right away into the promised land. They're not ready. And Moses knows it. 40 years later, Moses reflects on the wilderness experiences, and he says this in the book of Deuteronomy. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart. Said another way, Moses looks back and says, the reason you went through the wilderness was because you didn't know your heart. You didn't know who you were. In other words, the purpose of God we find in the wilderness was education. It was transformation. It was counseling. It was growth. It was preparation. It was a long process of getting the slavery out of the heart's of his people. Now, this is the same exact thing for us this morning. When we believed in Jesus Christ, we passed through the Red Sea by the sheer grace of God through the blood of the Lamb of God, and we're free. The gospel is God placing his love and his rescue on us, not as an endorsement of our character, but as a demonstration of his mercy, we're his. It's all his grace. And because of that, we're not enslaved to the opinions of others because we stand by his opinion. We're not enslaved by the lusts of our flesh or the ways of this world because we've seen something better. We're not mastered by unbelief or skepticism because we've seen the grace of God. We're not slaves to fear or death. Sin is no longer our master but it takes time to work this into our hearts. We're not perfect. It's a process to work this freedom into our lives. Another way of saying this is that there is a process to get the reality of what God has done for us in Christ from our heads to our hearts, to work the truth of the gospel from our minds into our living. And usually what we find 
is this process happens when there's trouble, when there's difficulty, when things go wrong, when things fall apart, when someone does something wrong to us. It's the challenges of life. It's the sufferings of life. It's the desert experience of life where we begin to access what's in our head and practically work that out into our lives. It's the wilderness. It's so often the desert experiences of life where we change. So God says through Exodus, there's a process for our hearts to be truly free. There's no shortcuts to character. There's no shortcuts to being a wise person, a person of depth, a person of substance. There's no, there's no shortcuts to deep faith. God invites us into a process and that process is often painful, it's long, it's difficult, but we're not an object in that process. We're a person he loves, a person he cares for, which really leads us to the second point, the provision of God. The provision of God. The passage continues saying in verse 4, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So God's led them into a difficult spot, but in that difficult spot, he provides. He gives them food, this very strange, frosty, flaky kind of thing called manna. It miraculously appears for them to eat. Now, at the time, back in Egypt at the Nile River Valley, one of the most fertile places in the world, there's no longer that much food. The plagues and God's absence has turned that lush, rich environment into a wasteland. But here in the desert, one of the worst places in the world, there's abundant food. God's pouring out his grace and his blessings. It's a subtle reminder for us this morning that even in the best circumstances, the very best job situation, the very best relational status, if God is not there, it's a place of death. And on the other hand, in the worst of circumstances, the very worst job situation, the very worst relational situation, if God is there, it's a place of life. It's a place of grace, and he will provide. Now notice in this passage, God's not just providing. He also tells them how to get it. They have to gather it. It doesn't just get miraculously pumped into their stomachs. They couldn't gather it on the Sabbath, so think this is Chick-fil-A. It's closed on Sunday. They had to go and get it every day. They had to distribute it evenly. They had to go get the bread. There were rules. There was instruction but they had to go get the provision. That's what would keep them alive in the wilderness. That's what would give them the strength to keep going. Now, of course, the same is true for us this morning. This is a picture of how important it is to get the provision of God in our lives. We have to get the bread. In our wilderness moments, our trials can either make us or they can break us. Right now, if you're in a trial in your life, after it's done, you're not going to be the same. 
in terms of your character, in terms of your depth, in terms of your ability to love people and trust God or not, the trials are either going to make you go up or they're going to make you go down. We won't stay where we are. In some way or another, they'll make us or they will break us. In other words, pain, trials, difficulties can make us a bitter person. They can make us an angry person who's far from God, or they can make us a strong person, a wise person, a sensitive person who's near to God. And in the wilderness, you have to get the provision. You have to get the bread. You have to get the strength. The other option, of course, would be to starve. And when you starve, you get angry. You get hungry. You get, we might say, hangry. You get bitter. Moses, again, years later, he looks back on these events, and he says this about the manna. Deuteronomy 8, 3. God humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. In other words, Moses looks back and he says that God gave the manna to teach them something. And what God intended to teach them was that life, strength in the wilderness, doesn't just come from miraculous bread, but in their spiritual wilderness, in their personal wilderness, life strength comes from every word that comes from the mouth of God. What that means is that the manna is secondary. The primary thing is God himself and his living words, the way he shows himself to us. The point is they find strength in the wilderness, and it isn't just from stuff. It's from God himself going to the source, knowing his words, knowing his truth, and then working those things into our hearts from our minds. What that means is that we have to turn truth into bread. Every word that comes from the mouth of God is the words of the prophets. It's the words of the apostles. It's the scriptures, the Bible, God's truth. And when that happens, we can say like Jeremiah, when I found your words, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight for I bear your name, O Lord God Almighty. Especially in our wilderness moments, we have to take that truth, the scriptures, God's truth, and we have to turn it into bread. We have to digest it. We have to let it work its way into our hearts, to our system, to restore us, to change us. But also notice it's a daily thing. Verse 4, verse 19, the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day. And Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it till the morning. If they did leave, it essentially would rot out pretty quickly in the morning. The point is, is that God is teaching them something about daily sustenance. He's talking about frequency. Not only is he saying, go to the source, God himself, his words, his truth, but he's saying, go get manna every day. It's teaching them something about their moment by moment need for God in the wilderness. In the New Testament, Jesus tells his disciples to pray. And he says this, give us today our daily bread. And in the New Testament, later Jesus, in one of his most famous miracles, follows it up by saying to his disciples, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will not hunger, and whoever believes in me will never thirst. In other words, he's saying we find our deepest needs. 
we find satisfaction in our deepest longings in our wilderness when we meet God himself. He's saying we don't just go to God for our needs, but we go to God as our need. He's saying that in the midst of our wilderness experiences, when we're on detours, when we're on broken roads, to come to him, to trust him, not just for things, but for him himself. He is wise this morning. By his grace, our desert experiences can be the very thing that bring into focus the only well of water that will ever truly satisfy. Desert experience means all the other wells essentially have dried up. There's not much happening, or perhaps everything is in chaos. And in those moments, Jesus Christ invites us to drink. A clear water, a deep water, a refreshing water, a sustaining water. These desert moments can be important because it brings to focus all that God is, all that we have in him. So the manna and the wilderness, it's pointing to something. It's pointing at the God who loves them, who's not forgotten them, which really leads us to our final point, the patience of God. Notice in verse 4, And in 27 and 28, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? So in the wilderness, another striking thing we find in this passage is that God was testing them. And over and over again, what we'll find is that the Hebrews fail the test. He's brought them on this journey because they're not ready. They're free, but in their hearts, they're still largely enslaved. The ways of Egypt are still deeply within them. Yet God is patient. He keeps loving them. He keeps showing them grace. Moses, again, reflecting on the wilderness experience, writes this in Deuteronomy. In the wilderness, there you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son all the way you went until you reached this place, that is, the promised land. Likewise, in our hard moments, in our Christian journey of becoming more like Jesus, becoming more whole, God is patient with us this morning. In all of our difficulties, with Egypt still in our hearts, God is loving us like a father. It's a hard journey, but he loves us. He's not forgotten us. He's the God who cares. And this morning, through Jesus Christ, we meet the perfect son of God, the one who never failed Hundreds of years after Moses, Jesus goes into the wilderness for 40 days. It's symbolic of the 40 years that Israel was tested in the wilderness. Yet unlike Israel who fails the test over and over again, Jesus passes the test in every instance. He didn't give in to temptation. He didn't grumble. He followed God there and throughout his whole life perfectly. He lived the life we couldn't live. He died the death we should have died. And through him this morning, we can find rescue. We can find salvation. 
We can step out of slavery in Egypt through the grace of God, through the blood of the Lamb, and we can become His people. And those of us that know Him, through His Spirit, He promises us that He will be with us, guiding us, protecting us, strengthening us for all that He wants us to be. It's a journey. It's a wonderful process, but He's with us. Thank you for listening to this episode of King's Church DC podcast. If this sermon encouraged you, please like, rate, and subscribe to our podcast. For more information on our church and service times, please visit kingschurchdc.com. We hope you will join us again next week.